The Scroll, Chapter 7, Seasons Soft chirping pulled Kohelet from his sleep, and he eased himself up onto the edge of the bed. Benjamin was gone, the sunlight was filtering through the window, and Simca was studying him between snippets of song. Kohelet shuffled over to the window, and Simco fell silent. You can keep singing, little bird. There is nothing you or I can do about this trouble with Mariah. Benjamin will do his best to find out where we stand, and until he returns, we should both do our best to enjoy this day. He whistled to her, and Simca hopped closer. You never know what life will bring. This could be the last sunlight we ever see. Simca glanced at him, then pecked at the empty nail. Ah, yes. With Benjamin gone, it looks like you have missed your breakfast, too. Kohelet picked up the last fig from the desk, and Simca cocked her head to one side. No doubt you've been getting your share of these out in the orchards. He bit off a small piece and placed it on the windowsill. But I will share mine with you as well. Simca hopped over and pecked at the piece of fruit. Kohelet took another bite from the fig and looked over the empty marketplace. Sabbath was a nice break from the rest of the hectic week. Normally he would join with the others, but Benjamin had asked him to stay inside until he returned. Movement across the plaza caught his eye. Caleb was watching him intently from his window. His robe was askew, his hair disheveled. Kohelet nodded, but Caleb stepped back into the shadows of his room. Kohelet did the same. Caleb was neither a good man nor a wise one. He was a schemer and would use anyone to get a few coins. If there was anyone in the market who could not be trusted, it was Caleb. Kohelet sat at his table to stay out of Caleb's line of sight. He popped the last part of the fig into his mouth and savored its sharp flavors. This was one of the last fresh figs he would get this season. The farmers were already beginning to dry their crops in anticipation of the cooler months ahead. Although that would mean the end of fresh figs, Kohelet preferred the rainy season. The moist air suited his health better than the hot winds of summer. Kohelet grunted past his mouthful of fig, and Simca looked at him. It is true, little bird. Just like our figs, everything in life has its season. You can't make a fig ripen by watching it, so you might as well get on with your life and enjoy it in its time. If you try to eat a fig before it is ready, it will taste terrible and make you sick. Simca's head bobbed, and she went back to her fruit. Figs were a unique fruit, for they could not be picked ahead of time. They ripened only on the tree and had to be eaten within a day or two of being picked. It was the very brevity of the season that made the time of fresh figs a special time of the year. Although figs could be dried and eaten later, a dried fig was vastly different from a ripe one. The seasons of life brought not only sweet things like a plump, ripe fig, but also bitter times of sickness and death. But as Benjamin often said, it would not do to worry about either one, for they would both come in due season. Life was always in motion and changing from one season to another, another time. It was well expressed in the poem he often quoted to his students from his perch by the well. He looked at Simca. Maybe you and I are the same, both strutting about and singing for a few crumbs. Simca chirped a few notes. Kohelet pointed his pen at the bird and recited the poem. Everything has its season, and there is a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to reap. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to destroy and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to caress and a time to abstain, a time to embrace and a time to refrain. 
a time to find and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to discard, a time to argue and a time to agree, a time to listen and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. He finished with the grand flare of his pen, and Simca hopped away. You don't like my recitation? Simca cocked her head, her eyes on his pen. Ah, you think I might harm you with this. No doubt you've had a few sticks hurled at you as you steal the farmer's figs. He put the pen on the desk. You'd better be careful out there, little bird. Don't let this be your season to be caught in a trap. That would end your free days, and a bird with such a pretty song is worth a good price in the market. Simca chirped a few notes, bobbed her head in agreement, and flew off in the direction of the orchards. Kohelet turned his attention to carefully transcribing the poem he had just recited onto the scroll. The ebb and flow of both positive and negative aspects of life under the sun were like the tides of the ocean, with only relatively brief times of calm between waves of celebration and sorrow. In dealing with all the things that have come their way, both good and bad, mankind rarely had time to reflect and take stock on what they were doing with the precious gift of days they had been given. Life was a restless sea of constant motion, yet beneath the turbulent surface there was a quiet reminder of the fact that there was something deeper. There was more to life than merely staying alive and trying to get ahead. So how can we gain anything from our toil if the seasons of life keep us constantly working? God confines our busy lives within the framework of time, but also plants eternity in our hearts. This makes it impossible for us to figure out what God is doing from the beginning to the end. The tension between the ongoing seasons of life and the innate knowledge that life was more significant than the sum of his days always tugged at his mind. It drove him to distraction at times, for although he could theoretically grasp the concept of life continuing beyond the bounds of time, getting a clear view of what this might actually signify was impossible. In the end, he would have to pull his mental explorations back to the present and focus on the day at hand, for this was the only reality he could truly grasp. The good things the seasons of life brought his way were enjoyed more if he simply accepted them without trying to figure out their overall significance. Kohelet chuckled. What he was writing and his concerns about Mariah and Daniel were a perfect example of this ongoing war between the temporal and the eternal. Let it go, old man. Let it go and enjoy this day, for it too will soon be gone. Kohelet bent back to his scroll. I clearly see there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves for as long as we live. Each of us has been given the opportunity to eat and drink and find satisfaction in our work. That is God's plan for us, and we cannot add to or subtract from His design. It fits us perfectly, for it achieves God's purpose and causes us to honor Him. That's the way it was in the beginning, and it is the same today. Our future is rooted in the distant past, for God's intent for us is consistent. Getting to his feet, he retrieved the charred remains of the Genesis scroll from the bucket overhead. It had been one of the finest scrolls in the king's library, each word carefully and beautifully formed. He unrolled it across the bed, tracing the back of his pen over the familiar section and read aloud, The ground is cursed because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it as long as you live. It will produce thorns and thistles as you eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread until you return to the ground you came from. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Kohelet rolled up the Genesis scroll and returned it to the bucket. 
He had just sat at his desk when the door swept open and Benjamin ran into the room. Master, it is true. Daniel and Mariah have secured a relationship. There is going to be a wedding at the Feast of Booths. Then why was she searching for me? Did she want to prove that I was in the wrong in saying she would never marry Daniel? Benjamin folded his large frame down into his familiar cross-legged position at Kohelet's feet. The polished head tipped back, and his sweaty face shook vigorously. Mariah has had lovers in her past. He paused, his eyes searching Kohelet's, but she has never secured an offer of marriage. That's not completely true. There have been those who wanted to marry her, but after she trapped them in her bed, they got to know what she is really like. But Daniel is different. He is all about the rules and will not sleep with her before they are married. He believes her when she says she has also remained faithful. He would never marry her if she knew about her affair with you. Benjamin looked intently into Kohelet's eyes. Mariah is greatly concerned that you might use that information to get even with Daniel for taking over the library. Kohelet patted Benjamin's shoulder as he stood to walk over to the window. I have no reason to ruin Mariah's wedding. That affair is in the past. My life has moved on. Benjamin sprang to his feet. But she has not. Mariah thinks only in terms of manipulation and betrayal. She believes you will act as she does and wants to make sure you will not expose her lies. Kohelet gazed at the sunlight on the hills outside the city. When their affair ended, there had been no latent sense of joy in what they had shared. It was a time he deeply regretted, but not to the point that he would ever seek revenge on her or Daniel. He turned away from the window. I will meet with her. I'll let her know that I will never reveal what happened between us. Benjamin put a hand on Kohelet's shoulder. No, master, Mariah will never trust you. She is hoping you are no longer living in the city and won't hear about her engagement until it's too late. If she finds out you are still here, she intends to force you out of the city or else end your life. She said this to Dira. You could never tell when Benjamin's face was blushing, but his eyes looked down at the mention of Dira, for she had been a close friend, or more, of the slave when they had lived in the palace. Dira has taken quite a risk in meeting you and letting you know. Benjamin nodded. And you took a risk in contacting her. Did you go to the palace? Benjamin glanced outside. We have a different place. There was a long silence, and Kohelet turned back to the window. So what do you suggest I do? Dira says the marriage will take place on the eve of the Feast of Booths. Mariah knows that once they are married, Daniel's pride would never allow him to acknowledge anything from the past. But she has become obsessed with the thought that you might do something before that time. I believe if you just lay low and stay out of view, it will be fine. So I stay here in the apartment, caged like one of the songbirds for sale in the market? Just for a short time. I will let your friends know that you need to rest for a while for the sake of your heart. Quellet frowned. He didn't like to complain to others about his health issues, but it was true that in the past year there had been a marked decline in his energy, and at times there were sharp pains in his chest and arms. During the summer he often had to leave the heat of the market and retire to his room to rest. Benjamin withdrew. I will find us something to eat. I shall return as quickly as I can. He put his hand on the door and turned back. There is also some good news. The king will appoint a new chief magistrate within the week, hopefully someone without an allegiance to Daniel, someone who might be willing to hear our side of the story if it ever comes to that. 
Benjamin left the room, and Kohelet moved to get a better view of the palace with the sunlight on its walls. Daniel was up there with the city at his feet. The man who had connived to steal away Kohelet's position was now going to marry the only woman who had ever shared Kohelet's bed. He shook his head. Unless age had softened Mariah's heart, Daniel was going to be repaid in kind for his treachery. The thought of Daniel being with her brought a twinge of anger back to his heart. There were very few people in his life Kohelet truly disliked, but Daniel was one. And if he was honest, there were times when he had to admit that he hated the man. Benjamin's news about a new chief magistrate was intended to give some sense of hope if they were taken back to the palace. Daniel and the previous magistrate had been in league together, and there would not have been any chance of proving Benjamin's innocence. During his days in the palace, he had faith that justice would prevail. But life down in the market had taught him that justice was a fluid entity that may or may not show up when needed. So there really wasn't much point in hoping that the new chief magistrate would be more willing to hear their case. Kohelet retreated to his desk, blocking out the palace walls and focusing his attention back on the scroll. As I looked at life under the sun, I found in the very place where I expected justice to be carried out, there was evil instead. And I had to remind myself that God will one day judge both the righteous and the wicked, for there will also be a time to evaluate every activity, a time to judge every deed. In a broken world, justice was always subject to manipulation and incomplete information. That combination made it impossible to sort out the complete truth of a matter. You could argue your case to the highest court, but beyond that you were left only with a distant hope, a belief that God would one day put the record straight. It was that faith that could give you strength to pick yourself up from the ashes and move forward. The seasons of life would eventually run to their end, and then everything and everyone would be evaluated and judged honestly. But there was only one doorway to that future place of reconciliation, and that was through death. In this life, people who suffered injustice looked at that doorway in the hope of something better, a fairer world, and a settling of accounts. But no one knew for certain what lay beyond death's door. For now, God tests us by giving us the same fate as the animals. As one dies, so dies the other. People have no distinction. Both have the same breath, and both are subjected to the same final futility, for all came from the dust, and to dust all will return." No one can prove that a person's spirit goes upward while the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I say there is nothing better than to find joy as we work, for that is our lot in life, and none of us knows for certain what the future will hold. In a strange sense, it was a certain end of human life that increased the evil lurking in the hearts of mankind. The realization that life was short fueled their intention to pursue their goals with a vengeance, no matter who might stand in their way. Faced with a choice to do what was right and possibly lose ground or step on someone else to get ahead, they almost always chose the latter. That same pressure that could see a person choose to do right was the same power that turned them into an evil brute, intent on running over everyone in their way. As I observed all the injustice under the sun, I saw the tears of the oppressed, but no one would comfort or rescue them, for power was in the hands of their oppressors. I declared that the ones who have already died are better off than those still living under such conditions. Even more fortunate are the unborn, for they are not yet exposed to the evil taking place upon the earth. Kohelet stopped writing. Those were difficult sayings. 
The birth of a child always brought a promise of something better, a change for the good. Yet for people living in oppressive situation, the promise was often broken, and the little ones were the first to suffer. In that sense, it was better as if they had never been born into a world full of injustice and evil. He bent back over the scroll and was so caught up in his work that the scuffling of feet outside his door suddenly startled him. Kohelet turned quietly around. It wasn't Benjamin, and few others ever climbed all the way to the attic apartment. Had Mariah's spies found him already?